Welcome to First Baptist Church. You're listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead. Please check us out on the internet at fbcboron.org. Romans chapter 12, beginning in verse 14. And the word of the Lord reads, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you guys have your Bibles open. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians 5. And looking at verses 16 through 18, Paul writes there, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God and through Christ, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So I want to welcome you back to uh, our series on Romans titled, The Power of the Gospel. And as Paul says in Romans chapter 1, the gospel is the power of God to save those who believe it. It is the very power of God, not simply to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. It's the power of God to bring wretched sinners who are in rebellion to God and radically transform them into saints. It's the power of God to take enemies, enemies of God, and not simply offer them a peace treaty, but to actually adopt them and make them part of his beloved family and children. The gospel is the power of God to bring about radical transformation. That's why Paul says, if you're in Christ, you are something new. I don't think we spend enough time thinking about that, that we are something new, something radically different than what we once were. That's why Paul says that we're new. You're not simply just you, but 2.0. You're not just the second generation or second generation version of yourself. You are something altogether different. That is the power of the gospel. And that gospel not only rescues us from sin and the wrath of God, but as Paul explained in Romans chapter 1 through 11, the gospel also transforms our lives so we can live radically different kinds of lives in light of this truth, which is what Paul We'll be explaining in chapters 12 through 15. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. In light of the gospel, and it's transforming power. Paul calls all of us Christians, those who call on the name of Christ, to now live lives that have been radically transformed by this gospel. And notice he says that this life is to be radically lived differently than the rest of the world. He says, don't let the world and its culture and its influence shape you conform you or shape you externally, but instead we are to be transformed in nature and in character from the inside out by the renewal of our minds. Minds that have been renewed by the power of the Holy Spirit and minds that are continually being renewed by the power of the Word of God. We are to live radically different than we once did. And, and the foundation of that difference is in reconciliation. I love the word reconciliation because it doesn't simply mean to take things and make them what they once were, right? Reconciliation is a relationship word. It's, it's this idea of a broken relationship and, and then a restoration back to the, the way that it is supposed to be as family. By God's grace and in the finished work of Christ on the cross, we have been reconciled to God into the relationship we were created for. That's what we were created for to start with, an intimate, up-close, personal relationship with Him. We've been reconciled back into that relationship as family. That's why Paul urges us to offer our entire lives to God as a living sacrifice, as an act of worship. Now that He's rescued us in light of, of that mercy we ought to live for him. But not only have we been reconciled to God as we've been talking about the last several weeks, we've been reconciled also to our fellow man. We've been reconciled to one another. And in Romans chapter 12 through 15, Paul unpacks for us how we are to live in light of this reconciliation towards our fellow man. And the first group of people we've been talking about that Paul calls us to live in this new, radical, gospel-saturated life toward is one another. We're to live this gospel-centered life towards our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that means we're to live humbly before one another. We're to prefer each other. We're to try to honor one another. We're to love each other with this agape kind of love, this unconditional, no-strings-attached kind of love. And we're to take care of each other. Why? Not simply because we have common beliefs. We're not just simply a gathering of people with a common interest, but we are a family. The family of God and our union with Christ then automatically puts us in union with each other. And we're to live like that, as Paul says. We are to live as a family but then after this, Paul then goes on to unpack how we're to live then this gospel-transformed life in front of the rest of the world. And when I say the rest of the world, I'm, I'm talking about all of those who are on the outside, those who are not part of God's family, those who are not in Christ, those who are not one of us. And this includes our unbelieving family members. This includes our unbelieving neighbors and community members. This includes our unbelieving friends and even our unbelieving 
enemies. We're to live out this gospel-centered life before the rest of the world, the unbelieving world. Now, this word enemy is something we should spend some time talking about this morning. I think this is one of those words that we're familiar with, and all of us have a certain understanding of this word. We all understand this word to mean a person or persons who are antagonistic toward us. We think in terms of military enemies. We think in terms of political enemies or personal enemies. We think of people who hate us, people who who malign us, people who conspire against us. These can be people who are openly hostile toward us in public. But they can also include those people who are openly friendly to us in public, but privately behind our back will run our name down or work to sabotage us. We know lots of people like that. These are the enemies we typically think about when we say the word enemy, people who don't like us, who are hostile toward us. I would say that they are our worldly or our overt enemies. But there's another way to understand this word. And this is all the people who are simply not just, or who are not hostile to us, but who are hostile to our king, people who still suppress the truth and unrighteousness, people who still reject the God who created them. And what makes this category of enemies difficult for us to wrap our heads around is the fact that many of these people are still very close to us. In fact, there are many people in our lives who are quite friendly to us, who reject Christ who genuinely love us, who are dear friends to us, people who are family members, people who are friends, but they are openly hostile towards Christ and his gospel. We have lots of people in our lives like that, people that we love and that are dear to us, who reject Christ and his grace, people who hate the God that we love, and even people who are worshiping false gods. These people are, in a very real sense of the the technical definition, are enemies, They might be, but they might not be hostile towards us personally, even have a genuine affection for us and maybe even love us and we love them in return, but they're still at war and in rebellion to the king himself. And and let's be clear, right? They're at war with the king, which means in a sense that they're at war with us. And and if they're an enemy of the king, then they're an enemy of us. Now, now, This might seem like a strange perspective for some of us, but it's the truth. Those who reject the God and hate, reject God and hate him in a very real sense are also the ones who reject God and his family. And I know this is a radically different perspective for us to think about because we're not used to thinking in these terms, right? But it's the truth. We have overt enemies who hate us but we also have spiritual enemies who may even still love us and many people that we still love, but they still live in rebellion to a God and are under his wrath and judgment. Now, if you recoil at this thought, what you're demonstrating is what I've gone through in my own life, and that is a bias that we've been taught all of our lives. And the bias is this. We have been taught since we've been little bitty kids that we are to hate our enemies, that we always think the worst of our enemies, that we always look with disdain towards our enemies. 
we just tend from, from a very young age to hate those who oppose us. We hate those who stand in our way. We hate those who malign us. We, we hate those right, that we would consider an enemy on any level. And so, so when we think of enemy, we think hatred. But that's the world's influence. The world is the one that wants us to hate. The world is the one who wants us to see everyone who stands against us as worthy of our, of our fury and hatred. But now that we have been reborn, we have renewed minds, we have a heavenly perspective. And what we've come to understand is the word enemy simply means somebody who's in opposition to us. Someone who stands against us. And there are people who love us who are in opposition to us. There are people who love us who stand in the way. There are people who love us who will absolutely stand flat-footed and reject the hope that we have to offer them. There are those who love us who would also seek to even undermine and subvert our faith. The problem that we have is that we struggle with that category that they're just simply people who are standing in the way. And we're not to hate them. We're not to despise them. We are to love them. We find it's easy to love the, the mean ones, right? I mean, excuse me, we find it hard to love the mean ones. It's the, it's the ones that love us that are easy to love. Yeah, I got that backwards there for a second. But you kind of know where I'm going with that. We're, loved, we're to love all of them. Like, like the God who loved us even while we were his enemies. And I think this is the example that we need to look to. Right? If you remember in, in Romans chapter 5, right, Paul just lays it out so very clearly. He said, but God showed his love for us. And while we were still sinners, while we were still rebelling against God, while we were spurning his grace, while we were spitting on the, on, on, on the sacrifice of Christ, while we were you know, in our deepest sin, it says, Christ died for us. He says, since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For while we were his enemies, and there's the word, enemies. We weren't just people that God had created. We were open enemies toward God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's the example for us. We were enemies in rebellion to God. And God had every right to hate us and to give us what we rightly deserve because of our sin, but he didn't do that. He loved us and he was good to us, even though we didn't deserve it. I mean, you think about this day right now. It's a beautiful, gorgeous day. This is a blessing from the hand of God. And guess what? That blessing is extended to the believers in this building and the believers in other buildings, but he's also extended to all those who would profane his name with their very next breath. God is good to us, even though we don't deserve it. And it is with the renewed minds and hearts that we have a new perspective on our own enemies. And we're to love them as God loves us. That's why Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, But I say to you who hear, love agape, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. 
Give to everyone who begs from you. From the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. And he continues and said, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? It's easy to love those who love us. It's easy to, to be happy around people that are easy to be around. It's easy to smile around those people that are just genuinely good to be, to be hanging around with. For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Or if even sinners do the same, and if you lend to those whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend and get back the same amount. But love your enemies, he says again, and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be, and this is the, this is the important part, and you will be sons of the Most High. We will be acting like the family of God, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. Brothers and sisters, if there's part of a verse that you could just walk out of here with and hold on to and practice the rest of the week, it is that right there. For he is kind and ungrateful. I mean, he is kind to the ungrateful to the, uh, and he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. As, as children of God, we have a different, we are to have a different perspective about our enemies, both of those who overtly malign us and those who then love us, but just want nothing to do with the God that we love. Right? We're not to see them with bitterness or hatred in our hearts. We're to see them as those whom God loves, those that God sent his son into the world to die for. We're to see them as we once were, those who are helpless and hopeless without Christ. Every time I think to myself and I see somebody stumbling or struggling with something, and when I begin to become impatient, I quickly remind myself of where I've come from and remind myself that if God can love a jerk like me and change this hardened heart, he can change anybody's heart. And so we're to live lives toward these people that have been radically shaped by the gospel. And that right there is really what Paul's gonna unpack for us in Romans chapter 12. In fact, the theme for me in this section in verse 21, where Paul is where Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I think for me, that's just, I think a part of a verse that the church would do well to remember. We live in a world that is about settling scores and getting even and I think that this is something that we could spend a lot more time thinking about. We're not to allow our hearts to become, to become bitter or hateful or resentful towards those who hate us. And we're not to allow our hearts to become complacent towards those who are friendly and who love us, but reject Christ. We are to live in such a way that overcomes all evil, overt or subtle with good. But then how do we do that? Well, there are, I think, five practical applications from this text that I believe that Paul is calling us to, to live out. Five applications that will enable us to live on mission for Christ and allow us to be the kind of witness that our friends and our community members and even our enemies need to see in us. And the first one is that we need to live in harmony. Paul writes in verse 16, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, 
but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now the expression live in harmony actually literally translated as have the same kind of mind or the same kind of thinking. And the idea is that we're to have a certain kind of unity with people that are around us, a certain kind of common spirit, that we are to find our place in the community. I think a lot of times that, that there are people that have this picture of Christianity is that what we need to do is we just need to retreat from the world and just let them be them and then us be us and that we're not to have really kind of any type of relationship with the community around us. But that's just not the Christian life. We are to have, we're to find our place in the community around us and we're to foster a kind of community harmony. Right. But what kind of unity and harmony can we have with those who are not in the kingdom? Well, actually, there's a lot of, of harmony we can have. You see, the Christian life, though it's, it's not of this world, and it's certainly not of this culture, doesn't mean we have to always be antagonistic towards the world and culture. Many people think that the Christian life is always about being visibly irritated by what's going on in the world. There are people who think that we're just always supposed to be visibly uh, taking political stands or, or screaming at rallies or correcting people on social media, right? How many of you know that, that Christian like, who gets visibly and vocally irritated when somebody at Target says, Happy Holidays instead of Merry Christmas? You know, sometimes Christians feel like it's their moral obligation. I better correct them, right? Instead of just accepting the fact they're being nice, just let it go. Many Christians think it's their duty to correct everyone on social media and continually talk about how bad the world has become and how anything that's different than they grew up with is just somehow evil and ought to be rejected. That we're just continually waging war with our words and our actions. But the kingdom of God doesn't advance that way. It doesn't advance with man-made swords or external coercion. The kingdom of God advances from the inside with internal change. The early church had no platform. We, we, we understand that, right? When the church started, there was no like moral majority. There was no platform for them to stand on. The early church had no political standing. The early church was persecuted, but yet they managed to change the world from the inside out. How? By Christians living their everyday lives. We forget the fact that the Christian life isn't about suddenly becoming this, this monumental missionary or this, this you know, eloquent speaker. It's about Christians living their everyday lives, loving their neighbors, including the neighbors that don't like them. It's about Christians just living their lives and just being decent people and helping others right? by being good employees. A lot can be said about Christians and their work ethic, and there has been for centuries. By being honest in the marketplace, by just simply being polite, by extending grace. You see, people think that the kingdom advances on the back of eloquent evangelists or big crusades, but it doesn't. It advances on the backs of ordinary citizens living their life, shining the light of Christ and sharing the hope of Christ as they have opportunities to do so. 
It's Christians just every day lifting up Christ and seeking to honor him in all that they do, whether it's sweeping the floor or, or driving a truck. And, 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 this, and they do this, again, by being good neighbors and community members. They do this by loving those around them and living in harmony with those close to them. They are good, honest employees and employers. They love to, to mentor and to coach and encourage kids in the community. They're involved. They, they serve in lots of different capacities. I remember when years ago, we, I was invited to a meeting uh, at the Chamber of Commerce and they wanted, uh, they wanted to get churches together in our community. And they invited every kind of denomination, some that we would say they aren't really actual believers, right? And so they, they had this idea that what we're going to do is we're going to have, like on 20 Mule Team Days, this big booth, and all of you churches will get together and hand out your literature. And like, time out, that won't work in a thousand years because we have some differences among us that are going to cause us all to argue, right? I said, but I can offer you this. What I do know is what we don't have in common theologically, we do have in common as a community. We all love kids. We all love this community, and we all want to help. And so I think there are projects that we can do like, and we can have in common and, and serve the community that way where we're not like stepping on each other's theological toes. And we were able to do a few things like that. We were able to live in harmony with our neighbors, even though that there are gigantic theological differences with, between some of us, right? We were able to do things, right? And still give glory and honor to God and live in harmony and let people see the light of Christ shining in the members of this church. We need to seek to be gracious and generous and loving towards those around us. And that we ought to be the most humble people there are. We ought to not be those people who remind everybody how humble we are, though. <laughs> you know, when somebody, when, when, when you have to go around telling people how humble you are, then maybe you're not quite so humble. We're to be humble and gracious, and we're to love even those that are hard to love. That's really the mark and difference that we don't take ourselves too seriously. The kingdom of God advances when ordinary Christians live their ordinary lives in a way that demonstrates that God is the king and that they're trusting in him and that they love their neighbors because it's that kind of life that helps other people to see the light of Christ and gives us that real platform that we're going to need to be able to speak the gospel. I mean, we've all heard people forcefully trying to tell us what we ought to think or believe, right? It's those relationships that we build by living our lives that give us that ability to speak the truth in love. We're to live in harmony with one another, which also means we're to seek to live at peace with others. Paul says, if all possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. I think there's another application that the church ought to take serious. Right. Now, there's a couple of details to pay attention to here. First of all, notice Paul says, if possible, live peaceably with all. The truth is simply this. It's not always possible. Let's just concede that up front. It's not always possible to live peaceable with everyone because there are just some people that make it impossible. I think we've all experienced that. There's some people who are just so hateful and so destructive and so dangerous and so toxic that we just can't live in peace with them. You either have to change your situation or change your location. And at times, you might even have to defend yourself. 
The truth is the Christian life, though we seek to live in harmony with people, is not about being a doormat for other people to walk on. And contrary to the popular opinion, right, there is no 11th commandment that thou shalt always be nice. That's not part of what God says. There are times that we might not be able to live peaceably with other people. But on the other hand, right, right, the second thing I want you to notice, it says the phrase, as much as it depends on you. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. This is the part I think that all of us need to take ownership of. Because there's a lot of, of what happens to us that we're kind of responsible for. There's a, lot, there's a lot in our conflicts that we experience where, where it may originate with someone else, but we're not doing our level best to, to put it away. Sometimes we contribute to the conflict. Sometimes we want to repay evil with evil. Right? Sometimes we want to trade verbal jabs with people. I just want you to, I'll confess that right up front. That's in my nature. Right? Somebody comes off at me kind of hot and bothered, like, you know, my first response is to give it right, give it right back. Sometimes we stoke the fires of conflict because, you know, we just have to tell everyone around us, you know, about what a low-down, dirty, no-good person that is. Sometimes we have to keep poking the bear with passive-aggressive Facebook comments, you know, thinking that because we're not really naming names that we're not really, like, doing anything. But again, I want you to listen to Paul's words. If possible, so far it depends on you. Live peaceably with all. As far as it depends on you. Well, how much of it depends on you? Well, actually quite a lot. The way that you respond to other people, the way that you react to difficulty, the way you keep talking about a situation, the way that you either get over it or don't. How many of you struggle sometimes to get over it? Come on, I'll be the first one. Yep, there we go. The way that you get over it, the way that you don't, the way that you choose to treat other people, even when they're not friendly, that's still up to you. It still depends on you. Let's just be honest. It's, if we were to just rise up and live this out and treat everyone, including those who are antagonistic toward us, the way that the Word of God calls us to treat them, much of the conflict that we have with other peoples would actually dissipate and vanish and our witness in the world would be heightened as people look to us and see something different. But pastor, you just don't understand. Man, just the sound of their voice just gets under my skin. Well, they really, really hurt me. You know, that person really done me wrong. That person has been talking trash about me since we were five years old in kindergarten and they're still doing it while we're adults. That's boron, right? That's the way it is, right? I understand I've had I've the same kind of experiences, but what does Paul say here? Right? He says, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Right? I, want you, let's just, I want to read those words again, because I mean, these are the words that I read and I go, okay, Lord, I know they're there and I know you mean it, but these aren't the easy ones, right? Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. 
you know, sometimes people will say, you know, verses change depending on the context and right. But there's some verses that are just so to the point and so clear you can't get around it. We're to bless. Well, how do we do that? How do we bless them? Right? We're to bless even our enemies. And again, this is so counterintuitive for our earthly and fleshly nature, right? right? Paul really, but, but Paul really emphasizes the point. He says, repay no one evil for evil, which means don't settle scores, right? Don't try to avenge yourself. And even more than that, he says, do good to them. Paul says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. One of my favorite expressions when I was younger, by the way, before I was a Christian, was I hate them so much that if they were on the side of the road and their car was on fire and I was driving a truckload full of fire extinguishers, I wouldn't stop, right? That was just kind of like how hard my heart was. And Paul's saying the very exact opposite. If they're in need, help them. You see, blessing your enemy is not simply, right, just live and let live, right? Not simply avoiding them, ignoring them at Boron Food Market. How many of you ever had to do that once before in your life? Okay, yep, absolutely. It's actively seeking to do good to them, to show love to them, the love of Christ to them. Again, I'm gonna take you back to what Jesus himself said in Luke chapter six, just in case we're slippery on like whether this really applies to us. He says, what I, but I say to you who hear, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. The one that strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic, give to everyone who begs from you. And from the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Going on and on talking about how it's no benefit for us to love those who love us and says that this is how we are sons of the Most High God, who is, un, who is kind to the ungrateful and evil and merciful, to be merciful even as our Father is merciful. That's, brothers and sisters, how we live the radical, transformed life. By the way, if you ever ask me, what is the will of God for your life? It's that right there. Pastor, one what God's will for my life is. Love your enemies. Oh, I, I was talking about like what job I was supposed to do. I was talking about the, the, what girl I was supposed to marry. That was what I was looking for, not that, right? But that's God's will for our lives, is that we love our enemies, that we bless our enemies. And that includes those who are overly antagonistic toward us, right? And those who reject God's grace. We are to actively do good to them and bless them and show that agape kind of love to them. And I want you to understand, I know it's hard. I know it seems impossible, and I know it seems that evil people will always prosper, right? How many of y'all get kind of irritated when it seems like, you know, the jerks keep getting away with everything, right? We, we all see that. Somebody needs to put them in their place, we think, right? And, and, and you know, if I'm good to them, right, when will they ever learn? Or they're just going to continue to walk on me. We naturally feel the need to, to hold, withhold love from people like this or to settle some kind of score. We, need, we feel the need to at least in some small way seek and make sure that justice gets done because if we won't do it, then it's not going to get done. 
But what we need to do is the next thing, is that is to trust in God's justice. Again, notice what Paul says here. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for as it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. You see, this is where we must actually walk in faith, trusting that God will do what he promises to do. This is where we must decide to trust in God and his sovereignty and believe that he knows what he's doing. And this is where we need to forego whatever control we think that we have. By the way, I want you to realize is if you think you have control, you might as well get over that illusion now because you don't. You didn't even control the fact that you woke up this morning. That is by God's sovereign hand. We need to forego whatever control we think we have and trust that God is the one who's in complete control and that he will keep his promises and that he will work all things out, as he says in Romans 8, 28 for the good of those who love him and that he will do things that glorify himself and, and he will see to it that things are set right and that the word of God promises that the evil will not go unpunished. We need to trust him so that we can walk then in the freedom we need to be able to love the way God's calling us to love. If we're always on a mission to try to avenge ourselves, we will never, ever be able to love the way that God is calling us to love. If we never let go of the hurt and the pain and the slight and the debt that people owe us, and when I talk about debt, I'm talking about that emotional debt that can never be repaid when someone hurts you, right? If we continually walk holding on to that, we will never be able to, to actually extend the love that will transform lives. We need to trust him enough so we can walk in the freedom to love, knowing that even when it seems like everyone is getting over on us, even when our enemies seem to be triumphing over us, we can walk in this radical love and grace, knowing that he is sovereign and in control, and he will do what he promised to do, which is set all things right. By the way, anytime you think about withholding that, that grace, just remember that God went all in to give you grace. And even today, you know, he just keeps extending it because you and I both have failed at some point between the time our eyes open to this moment right here. And then finally, we need to be compassionate to everyone. I think there's something in us that we feel like that there are people that are deserving of compassion and there are those that aren't. But the truth is we need to be compassionate to everyone. We don't know everybody's story. We don't know what everybody's going through, you know, even the worst. But look at what, what Paul says. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And, and, and I want you to see that Paul didn't use any qualifiers when, when he says the word those. He didn't say those in your church, right? He didn't say those in your family. He didn't say those of your friends. He just says rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. He uses the word those in a very generic sense, meaning kind of like with all of those. And I mention this because there's just something in the human psyche 
that tends to celebrate when certain people fail or experience loss. There's a, there's a tendency to resent certain people when they experience good or have some kind of success. There's just some people who resent others so badly that they will wish ill on them and, 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 and they will celebrate when things go wrong in their lives. And, and we see it on social media especially, but I, I remember a famous uh, radio personality years ago um, who was diagnosed with terminal cancer. You know, and I just remember like just seeing the outpouring of celebration of this person's political enemies, people that hated him so bad. It was like, oh, I just hope you suffer so long. I hope this cancer lasts and you just rot, you know. And, there, and when he finally died, there were people just like dancing and celebrating, like making videos of this stuff. Right? There are people, including some who call themselves Christians, by the way, who were celebrating as well, just because they hated this person so badly. They rejoiced in his suffering. But we, brothers and sisters, are children of the light. We are God's family. We ought to love what he loves and what God loves is other people. And we ought to be compassionate because he's compassionate. Anytime I think of just for a second, I could withhold compassion. I think about the man that I was before he transformed my life. And in light of, of that, we ought to celebrate the victories of everyone around us, even those that, who stand against us. And we certainly ought to be compassionate and loving to those who experience life trials and griefs. We ought to be the first ones who are there to love and to support and to come alongside when people experience loss and heartache. By the way, that's one of the greatest opportunities we have to really shine the light of Christ. You want to see somebody actually like recoil in shock is go to one of your enemies and be there for them when things fall apart for them. Instead of being the one, one of the ones that's pile on, on you're the one of the ones that are lifting them up. Because brothers and sisters, what are we after? We're after to see people turn to the only hope there is. And I'm going to tell you right now, your worst enemy can become one of your greatest friends if they turn and put their faith in Christ. We need to be compassionate and shine the light. So then how do we then do this? Because let's just be honest, brothers and sisters, this is a tall order, right? What I want you to understand is you and I will not do this in our own strength. It will not happen in our own strength. And if we somehow manage to do this in our own strength, all we're doing then is, is just trying to earn God's favor. The way we do this begins, first of all, is being in Christ. If you're not in Christ, then none of this is going to matter to you. So the first thing is to turn to him in repentance and faith. If you're not in Christ, put your faith in him and believe the gospel. And the gospel is the simplest, most beautiful message there is. We are sinners who have been in rebellion to God since our eyes opened, right? No one had to teach us to lie or cheat or steal or be mean or bite or kick. Anybody who has kids understands that, right? You didn't teach them that. They figured it out, right? We have been in rebellion to God since the beginning. And because of that, we have broken God's law and we rightly deserve his justice and wrath, which he will pour out on all those who are in their sin. 
which means we're helpless and hopeless because we can't fix it. But God, by his grace and mercy and his love, by the counsel of his own will, had mercy on us and sent his son, his perfect son, to live the life that we were supposed to live and died on the cross to make atonement for our sins and then lifted him up three days later, proving that the payment had been settled. And all we do is what? Put our trust, hope, and faith in him, and that's it that we hold on to Christ in him alone for salvation. And the promise is, is that we will be saved the moment we believe. And the Holy Spirit will then be sent to live inside of us, transforming us from the inside out. And if you're not in Christ, then repent and believe that gospel. But if you are in, that, in, in Christ, then rest in your salvation. And understand that when you fail, to love the way you're supposed to love, that the answer isn't, I gotta try harder. The answer is you need to hold on to Christ even more and recognize your shortcoming is just who you are. It's only him that's gonna enable you to live that way. One of the greatest transformations in my entire Christian life is when I finally figured out, Lord, I can't do it, change my heart. I'm trusting in you. I can't get over this. Change my heart. I'm struggling to forgive them. Change my heart. We need to rest in him and not walk in our own strength. And then the third thing, which is always the same, is we need to then recognize that we are a part of the rescue mission that God has sent into the world. That by you living your life where you are, doing your job, raising your children, coaching your teams, helping in whatever classroom you do, whatever activities that you find that yourself doing and that you shine in the light of Christ where you are, that you are the opportunity for the gospel to reach that person right where they are. And I want you to know the thing that fixes those enemy problems is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is the gospel that tears down the barriers between us. It is the gospel that removes those debts that keep us separated. It is the gospel that allows us to really live authentically before God and before man, truly being able to love people as they are, right? and trusting in God's providence and his justice. It is the gospel. Let us continually be on mission for that. And again, this isn't, I'm not calling you to get you a sandwich board, you know, and uh, write, repent, you know, hell's at the door and stand in front of Boron Food Market, right? I really don't think that's very well received. But what I am calling you to do is do what the word calls us to, which is sow the seed, love the people, pray for God to change hearts and not give up. Let me pray for you. You've been listening to the preaching ministry of Pastor Sherman Burkhead, a production of First Baptist Church in Boron, California. Our website address is fbcboron.org. And would you please consider partnering with us financially as we work to share the hope and the gospel of Jesus Christ with our community and our world.